0: The heading reads, A vision given to Joseph Smith the prophet in the temple at Kirtland, Ohio, January 21, 1836. The occasion was the administration of ordinances in preparation for the dedication of the temple. I'll read a little bit of a background for this section. Uh, this revelation was received in the West Schoolroom on the third floor of the Kirtland Temple. Church leaders from Kirtland and Missouri had assembled to be anointed as part of the endowment of power to be bestowed upon the first elders in connection with the dedication of the temple. Two separate meetings were held the evening of January 21st, the latter continuing into the morning hours. During the first meeting, Joseph Smith, his father, and his brother Hiram, along with members of the First Presidency, Sidney Rigdon and Frederick G. Williams, and Oliver Cowdery, who was the Associate President of the Church, the Presidency of the Church in Missouri, David Whitmer, William W. Phelps, and John Whitmer, the Bishoprics in Kirtland and Missouri, and the the Prophets' scribe, Warren Parrish anointed each other with holy oil and offered prayers that the anointing blessings would be accepted. The second meeting was not unlike the first except that those being anointed were members of the church high councils in Kirtland and Missouri. Although visions and spiritual manifestations were witnessed during both ceremonies, section 137 was received during the first anointing session. Oliver Cowdery made the following entry in his diary for the day, Thursday the 21st, this morning at thir- at 15 minutes past nine, my little daughter is five months old. O Lord, I thank thee that thou hast thus been merciful and spared my only child. At about three o'clock p.m. I assembled in our office, Garret. Having all things prepared for the occasion with President Joseph Smith, Jr., Frederick G. Williams, Sidney Rigdon, Hiram Smith, David Whitmer, John Whitmer, and Elder John Correll, and washed our bodies with pure water before the Lord, preparatory to the anointing with the holy oil. After we were washed, our bodies were perfumed with a sweet smelling, odorous wash. At evening, the presidents of the church, with the two bishops and their counselors, and Elder Warren Parrish, met in the president's room, the high councils of Kirtland and Zion in their rooms. Those named in the first room were anointed with the same kind of oil, and in the manner that were Moses and Aaron, and those who stood before the Lord in ancient days, and those in the other rooms were anointing oil prepared for them. The glorious scene is too great to be described in this book, therefore I only say that the heavens were opened to many, and great and marvelous things were shown." Though consisting of but ten verses, this is one of the most significant revelations in the Doctrine of Covenants. It lays the doctrinal foundation upon which rests the whole concept of our labors in behalf of our kindred dead. It clearly separates this doctrine from any nation that the living can neglect their responsibilities in this life, believing that they can attend to them or have someone else attend to them when they are when they have died. <clears throat> the vision of the celestial kingdom was not part of the standard works until 1976. Verse 1, The heavens were opened upon us, and I beheld the celestial kingdom of God and the glory thereof, whether in the body or out, I cannot tell. I saw the transcendent beauty of the gate through which the heirs of that kingdom will enter, which was like unto circling flames of fire. David O. had a vision of the celestial kingdom. I beheld in a vision something infinitely sublime. In the distance I beheld a beautiful white city. Though far away, yet yet I seemed to realize that trees with luscious fruit, shrubbery with gorgeously tinted leaves, and flowers in perfect bloom abounded everywhere. The sky clear, or the clear sky above, seemed to reflect these beautiful shades of color. I then saw a great concourse of people approaching the city. Each one wore a white flowing robe and a white headdress. Instantly, my attention seemed centered upon their leader, and though I could see only the profile of his features and and his body, I recognized him at once as my Savior. The tint and radiance of his countenance were glorious to behold. There was a peace about him which seemed sublime. It was divine. The city I understood was his. It was the city eternal, and the people following him were to abide there in peace and eternal happiness. But who were they? As if the Savior read my thoughts, he answered by pointing to a semicircle that then appeared above them, and on which there were written in gold the words, These are they who have overcome the world, who have, been, who have truly been born again. So David o. McKay has a vision of the celestial kingdom too. Very cool. All th- verse three. <clears throat> also, the blazing throne of God, whereon was, sealed, was seated the Father and the Son, I saw the beautiful streets of that kingdom, which had the appearance of being paved with gold. I saw Father Adam and Abraham and my father and my mother, my brother Alvin, that has long since slept. In this most remarkable vision, the prophet was not shown things as they were in the celestial kingdom, but rather as they yet would be. This would have been immediately evident to him as he saw in that vision his own father and mother. As already noted, his father was present in the room with him when the vision was received, and his father and mother lived for some years after this event. Each of the parents shown in the vision appears to have been deliberately chosen to emphasize that salvation is a family affair and that it centers in the promises made to our ancient fathers. In addition to seeing the father and the son, the prophet saw Adam, the father of all humankind, father Abraham, the father of the faithful, and his own father and mother reunited with his, father, his brother Alvin, who had died twelve years earlier at the age of twenty-five. That was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Verse 6, And marveled how it was that he, Alvin, had obtained an inheritance in that kingdom, seeing that he had departed this life before the Lord had set his hand to gather Israel the second time and had not been baptized for the remission of sins. Thus came the voice of the Lord unto me, saying, All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. Also, all those that die henceforth without a knowledge of it, who would have received it with all their hearts, shall be heirs of that kingdom. In these verses, the principles upon which the doctrine of salvation for the dead rests are announced for the first time in this dispensation. They are, first, that the doctrine applies only to those who died without a knowledge of the gospel, second, that God must read the hearts of those concerned and affirm that had the gospel come to them in mortality, they would have accepted it, and third, that God must judge that not only would they have accepted the gospel, but they would have done so with all their hearts, meaning that they would have endured valiantly and faithfully to the end. These principles accord perfectly with the promise of Peter that those who receive the gospel in the spirit world must do so in such a manner that they might be judged according to men in the flesh which is to say that the price of faith in works that the price in faith and works to receive the gospel in the spirit world is the same as the price app- uh, appended to receiving it in mortality the question could well be asked as to why it was that Alvin would be chosen to represent these truths. The answer is that he is the perfect example of the kind of person of, uh, to whom these principles apply. Alvin died in November of 1823. His passing had been a matter of considerable sorrow to the Smith family and to the young woman to whom he was engaged. Their wounded souls had been cut to the core at his funeral by the unfeeling remarks of the Presbyterian minister who had consigned Alvin to hell because he had not been baptized or involved in that church. Despite his relative youth, Alvin was a man of unusual spiritual prosperity, uh, propensity. Before his death, he called each of his brothers and sisters in turn to his bedside and gave them a parting admonition. To his 18-year-old brother Joseph, he said, Be a good boy and do everything that lies in your power to obtain the record the Book of Mormon remember this was only 2 months after the vision of Moroni Be faithful in receiving instruction and in keeping every commandment that is given you Mother Smith stated that Alvin had been manifest had even had ever manifested a greater zeal and anxiety if it were possible than any of the rest that regard with regard to the record which had been shown to Joseph and he always showed the most intense interest concerning the matter with with this before our minds we could not endure to hear or say one word upon that subject for the moment that Joseph spoke of the record, it would immediately bring Alvin to our minds with all his kindness, his affection, his zeal, and impiety. And when we looked to his place and realized that he was gone from it, to return no more in this life, all, we all wept with one accord over our irretrievable loss, and we, and we could not be comforted because he was not. Verse 9, For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. The scales of justice used in the realms of heaven can be depended upon to render that perfect equity and judgment known only to an all-wise God. Our works will be placed in one of the pans of balance and the desires of our heart in the other. Where our works are lacking because of circumstances beyond our control, the desires of our hearts can compensate. For instance, if someone did not marry in the temple because the opportunity to do so was not afforded, but in the judgment of God, that person would have taken that opportunity with all his heart or her heart, then the scales are balanced. That individual is rewarded as if he or she had complied with the commandment. On the other hand, impressive works may hide evil desires left unfulfilled only because the opportunity to act on them did not come. Again, the reward will accord with the desires of the heart. Though men may deceive each other, none will deceive God, nor will there be so much as a single soul from one end of eternity to the other who will be denied the blessings of heaven because of circumstances beyond his or her control. That was Joseph Taylor McConkie. Verse 10, And I also beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. This idea was not entirely new to the prophet, for he had learned from the Book of Mormon and and previous revelations of the Lord's disposition in regard to the status of children. An angel explained to to King Benjamin that the infant perisheth not that dieth in his infancy. After having described the nature of those who come forth in the first resurrection, Abinadi said simply, and little children also have eternal life. A revelation given in September of 1830 specified that little children are redeemed from the foundation of the world through mine only begotten. Elder McConkie said, Not only will little children be saved in the celestial kingdom of God, but they will be heirs of exaltation in that kingdom. On this point, the prophet said, They will there enjoy the fullness of that light, glory, and intelligence which is prepared prepared in doctrine. Joseph Fielding Smith said, I'm sorry, which is prepared in the celestial kingdom. I'll read that again. They will there enjoy the fullness of that light, glory, and intelligence, which is prepared in the celestial kingdom. To inherit the fullness is to is to have exaltation. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The Lord will grant unto these children the privilege of all of all the sealing blessings which pertain to the exaltation. We were all mature spirits before we were born, and the bodies of little children will grow after the resurrection to the full stature of the spirit, and all the blessings will be theirs through their obedience, the same as if they had lived to maturity and received them on the earth. The Lord is just and will not deprive any person of a blessing simply because he dies before that blessing can be received. It would be manifestly unfair to deprive a little child of the privilege of receiving all the blessings of exaltation in the world to come simply because it died in infancy. Children who die in childhood will not be deprived of any blessing. When they grow after the resurrection to the full maturity of the Spirit, they will be entitled to all the blessings which they would have been entitled to had they been privileged to tarry here and receive them. Will little children who die before the years of accountability ever be tested in the way that other mortals are tested? Satan cannot tempt little children in this life, nor in the world, in the spirit world, nor after their resurrection. Little children who die before reaching the years of accountability will not be tempted. That was by Joseph Fielding Smith. Isn't that a comfort? Why do some children die and others live? Are those who die better off than those who remain in mortality? Bruce R. McConkie said, We may rest assured that all things are controlled and governed by him whose spirit children we are. He knows the end from the beginning, and he provides for each of us the testings and trials which he knows we need. Joseph Ealing Smith once told me that we must assume that the Lord knows and arranges beforehand who shall be taken in infancy and who shall remain on earth to undergo whatever tests are needed in their cases. This accords with Joseph Smith's statement, The Lord takes many away, even in infancy, that they may escape the envy of man and the sorrows and evils of this present world. They were too pure, too lovely to live on earth. It is implicit in the, whole, in the whole scheme of things that those of us who have arrived at the years of accountability need the tests and trials to which we are subject, and that our problem is to overcome the world and attain that spotless and pure state which little children already possess." Melvin J. Ballard said, "You mothers worry about your little children. We do not perform sealings for them. I lost a son six years of age, and I saw him a man in the spirit world after his death, and I saw how he had exercised his own freedom of choice, and would obtain of his own will and volition a companionship. And in due time, to him and all those who are worthy of it, shall come all of the blessings, shall come all of the blessings and sealings, privileges of the house of the Lord. Do not worry over it. They are safe. They are all right." I bear testimony that these things are true, and that God in His judgment knows that uh, knows who's who that will receive the gospel, and uh, it's nice that we don't have to worry about judging those things. I bear testimony that these things are true, and say that in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. See you next time. Bye.